somebody can't just walk in there and see one debridement and say, okay, I know how to do that. Everybody thinks debridement's easy. I don't think that it's easy, actually. In this episode of Deep Cuts, Dr. Rizal Crombie, general and burn surgeon from CT Burn Center, Yale New Haven Health System, speaks with Dr. Brett Hartman, plastic surgeon and medical director of Richard M. Fairbanks Burn Center at Eskenazi Health. Keep listening to hear Dr. Hartman describe his approach to debridement, which he says centers on constant reevaluation of the wound. We are very distinguished to have Dr. Brett Hartman from Indiana here to discuss some topics on burn surgery and debridement. Tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got interested in burn surgery. Sure. I'm Brett Hartman. I'm the medical director of both the adult and pediatric burn units in Indianapolis. Background, really, I did general surgery training at Penn State. And then after that, I actually just wanted to be a plastic surgeon. I had no intentions of, of doing what I do now. And then went to Indianapolis to do my burn surgery fellowship, and that did it for me. That's where I kind of fell in love with burns. So, And then after that, I did a year of critical care in Chicago uh, at Loyola, and then I came back to Indiana to finish plastic surgery fellowship and ended up staying in Indiana for my job. That's awesome. And so, yeah, so we take care of, obviously, adult and pediatric uh, populations and so we do all the acute burn care as well as all the reconstruction. So it's kind of nice to see that patient the whole way through. That's awesome. Yeah. So go back to when you were a new surgeon, when you were first learning about burns. What do you think are the important parts of how to debride? What are the techniques for debridement that you think are important? Yeah, I tell the fellows this now that I want them at the end of their fellowship I want them to be able to see what I see in the operating room. And I, I think that's hard. When you're in the operating room, somebody can't just walk in there and see one debridement and say, okay, I know how to do that. Everybody thinks debridement's easy. I don't think that it's easy, actually. Maybe the, the technical part of it may be easy, but actually getting down to a healthy wound bed and knowing what that looks like, I think is the hard part. What are the things that you look for when you're trying to get down to like a healthy wound bed? One, I look for punctate bleeding, and that has to be, in my mind, people that I'm training, they look at it and say, oh, that's punctate bleeding. But it has to be pretty brisk punctate bleeding for me. And I want to see those, I can't see them, but the end capillaries, right? I mean, right. so you want to kind of cut the tips off of those capillaries and see all of them. And then I leave that alone for maybe a minute or so, and then I come back to it and look, and then... I think you can define what hasn't been debrided by looking at those more pale or whitish areas that that haven't really bled as much as you thought they originally did. Yeah. And so I always go back and look at a wound after I've debrided it. And maybe it's a minute or maybe I move to a different part of the, the body, debrided it, and then always come back to it. And if there are certain areas that, to me, don't look good, I'll go back and resize it. Got it. Now, is this something you're doing on the first time to the operating room or second time or? All times. All time. Yeah. Okay. So for sure, I think the initial debridement is the most important. Mm -hmm. And I found that some people, if, if they think they've done a good debridement initially, they'll put allograft on. Well, if that debridement's not good and now you've covered it and 
then it's a, it opens up a whole another can of worms for infection and so on right. and so forth. Um, the first debridement is the most important, but what I just described, I do that every single debridement I, I do. It. And I try to teach my fellows that too. And, and like I said, I hope in the end they, they are able to see what I see. Right. And I think that's hard. I think that just comes with experience. In time. In time. Our early failures that may have built us in a way to fully understand what's a better way to breed, a better way to look at the wound. Mm-hmm. What failures do you remember? Is there a case or a turning point? Yeah, I think everybody has underexcised the wound for sure, sure right? Yeah. And I think that's how you learn. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've certainly done that. Obviously, you, you learn a lot from your failures, right? right? We've talked about this yeah. before. Everybody can get up there and present all the successes, but I think it's the failures that you learn the most from. Correct. Um, I think it's those early first maybe year or two mm-hmm. that you really have those failures, and hopefully you don't have as many. Right. You're going to have some. I think it's you look at that wound, and, and we're pretty good about taking photographs yes. and pictures. So. I think it's important to go back retrospectively and look at those pictures and photographs in the operating room and say, this is why it failed. Right. right? Even though you thought it looked good, mm-hmm. going back and say, that doesn't look good right. at all. And, right. and again, I, I think it's time and experience. But how do you prevent that, right? That, that's right. the goal here is to have right. everybody come out and have as little failures as possible. Correct. That's the goal of the Burn Fellowship. Yes. I, I hope. Right. But then how do you, how do you teach everybody the same way? Right. Moving forward as we've become more connected since you and I were younger surgeons, I think just sharing ideas and failures and and talking about cases that can be incredibly helpful for that. Yeah. So when, when you think about sort of just the concept of excision, what specific technique do you think has stayed with you all these years that you you would tell your burn fellows? I think it's the bigger burns where we get into trouble. Uh, the smaller excisions, maybe not so much, but uh, mm-hmm. there's so much to do and so much going on that I think you lose sight of leg or lose sight of that wound. So right. you, we go and debris a leg real quick and we go and debris another leg or an arm. <clears throat> and then I think that's when you always have to, to go back and, and take a second look. Technically, we've all used wet right. blade or Watson blade or right. the malgatome, whatever, whatever it may be. I think it's getting down to that healthy tissue layer. That's the most important. And I think going back after you're done to breeding, taking a look, making sure everything's okay. Even after all the chaos and, you know, everything's you study, you go back and do get hemostasis. That's when I go back, get hemostasis, get adequate hemostasis and really take a look at the wound Got it. during that time. Got it. So theoretical big burn, how do you guide your team and, and your fellows in, in terms of timing of, to go to the OR? Mm-hmm. How much to do in the OR and, and how long? That's tough too. I think that varies from place to place. Correct. Uh, and Correct. Well, what do you do at your I, I place think, now that yeah, you're the director? At, at our place, so I have some really good help. A little bit of that depends on how good my fellow is too, but sure. I have a couple PAs and me and one fellow usually and or resident in the operating room. So the first thing I always tell them to have a plan in mind going into that case. Mm -hmm. You can't just go in and say, we're just going to debride. You can't do that. You have to have a plan from, from day one, from the time that patient hits the door. We like to get to that patient really within 72 hours. So usually after they've finished their resuscitation, I'll give them a day or two and then we'll take them to the operating room. I plan on excising as much as I can in one trip. Okay. And I think I have the advantage where I have good help. So my PA 
can debride a wound as good as I can, honestly. Right. The other important thing is be systematic. Don't be all over the place. Mm-hmm. We'll really start distal to proximal, mm-hmm. and we'll start either on the hands, depending on how big the burn is. If it's, I'll leave the hands alone initially, but we'll we'll work distal to proximal, legs first, and then arms, and then probably chest, back. If I can get the majority of a big burn done in one trip, I will. Got it. If not, I'll stabilize them for a day and then probably take them back either the following day or the, the next day. If we have a 50, 60, 70% burn, mm-hmm. we're pretty much excising it all in one trip. That's amazing. Yeah. Timing. How, how long are you in the operating room for those <clears throat> bigger burns? Yeah, that's... Like what, if you're trying to make a decision about, can I keep going with an operation or do you have a standard subset of hours? How, how do you kind of think through that? Once we get to the five, six hour mark, I think that's about our limit. Okay. Usually we can get a big burn done in that time frame. The other important aspect is that we have two dedicated operating rooms that right. we use at all times with dedicated staff. And right. so there's never a time where I have to wait for an OR or you know, change plans based on availability. Like say you have a patient, you're in there, you're planning on being there for five hours, you have your strategic plan to go from distal to proximal, but what are the decisions that would make you say stop that? Yeah, so... What I don't want is to somebody to get unstable. So I look at hemodynamics, okay. really. If somebody is receiving their total blood volume in one trip to the operating room, that's probably not good. Sure. We're in constant communication with our anesthesiologist. How much blood are we getting? Right. How, how much FFP? What, what kind of products are we giving and where are we? That's another thing I teach my fellows. Like, yes, we're, we're so in tune and, and operating and looking at these wounds. You got to make sure that the patient's doing okay, right? So right. I'm constantly looking at that monitor and looking mm-hmm. at blood pressure and heart rate. That's a big factor in. Okay, are we gonna are we gonna keep going or are we gonna stop? Right. So I think I think hemodynamic wise is a big a big factor. A, a big yeah. factor for us. Right. So and like so, I said, we have lots of help, so I, I think we can get a big burn done relatively quickly. Fabulous. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've gone through your first initial excision, going back for your second time, maybe doing a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. When you are debriding, say, the second time around, and you're looking at it and you've, there's some areas that have scant dermis, there's some areas that have, you're down to the fat. Mm-hmm. What do you say to your fellows about, you know, this is good fat, we're going to leave yeah. it, we should take this? Like, yeah, what are you specifically looking it's at? It's a good question, because before I talked about punctate bleeding, Correct. right? and. That doesn't always happen because now you're into deep dermis and you don't have that punctate bleeding that, that you would in more you know, right. superficial dermis. So now I'm down to deep dermis and I see these little fat globules poking through. Well, you know, how, how do you know that that's okay? Right. You need to see that shiny, bright yellow fat. Mm-hmm. If it looks dull or, or dry or it's just not that bright, shiny fat, then you got to go deeper. That's time and experience and learning what that looks like. So I constantly make it a habit of when I'm in the operating room, like this is not good fat. Right. So look at this. It's not good fat. Right. Take another swipe. Look at it again. And again, come back to it. Right. I think it's important to always come back to it. Look at it again. Right. In my mind, you can't just look at it once and then leave it. You got to come back and take a look at it. Right. So apply that same concept. How do you look at, say, you're overlying the anterior tibialis and you're down beyond the fat because there's not that much fat in that yeah. anatomical location? Yep. How do you decide what's 
what's what's healthy there? How do you decide yeah. for the bone? What's yeah. healthy there? Yeah. So for one, fascia, and we do a fair amount of fascial excisions if, mm-hmm. if needed. I think if that fascia, again, I look at the the kind of the doll nature or mm-hmm. if it's doll, it's got, it's got to go it's gotta in go. my mind. It's got to yeah. go. I don't really tell my fellows this, but now that I think about it, if you look close enough, you can kind of see little veins, mm-hmm. arteries, whatever, little, little vessels in that fascia. That's important. If those are desiccated or... Right. Thrombose vessels, obviously, that's another thing I for sure teach fellows. Thrombose vessels, obviously, are dead. Right. 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 So that tells me that that burn wound has gone pretty deep. Yeah. So we'll excise that. And then, okay, next, what does dead bone look like? Right. I'll take a bone burr mm-hmm. and debris, and the bone bleeds pretty briskly mm-hmm. if it's alive. So right. we'll take a, we'll take a, quick swipe through through the bone, tibia, whatever it may be. And if it bleeds, then I'll leave it alone. Got it. If it doesn't, then I'll drill holes into right. the bone, into the you know, through the cortex and hopefully get some of that bleeding from inside to come out. How do you then go about deciding two things? Whether your your wound bed is ready to receive either a dermal substitute or autographs. And then this the probably the second probably more complex part of that question is how do you decide which one of those two options to use and where do you use them? Yeah. <clears throat> I use dermal substitutes over joint services, necks, you know, stuff that is going to be a problem down the road. Okay. If So I think about that right away. I think about contractures right away. Okay. So I don't just look at a wound and debris and autograph and leave them alone, right? right. In, my, in my mind, I'm thinking about down the road, what's this patient going to look like when they're all done and healed? Right. I don't want them to have a big neck contracture or yeah. axillary contracture, whatever it may be. Right. So I'll usually put, if I'm into fat, I'll usually put a, a dermal substitute on that, Got it. on those areas. The problem I have with that is that it takes time for that stuff to incorporate. And right. then, you know, I got to come back and, and autograph. So a lot of times I'll just, if I'm on fat, I'll put allograft on. Mm-hmm. And make sure that that wound bed, you know, that's that's kind of my test. Sure. Right. Make sure that if that stuff sticks and everything looks good, then I'll I'll bring it back, take the allograft off, and, and usually autographed. Got it. And then how do you decide between where places that you would put just autographed versus a location where you might put a dermal subs- substitute down? Yeah. So depth for sure. <laughs> if I'm into fat or down to bone, I'll almost always put yeah. a dermal sub, and then and then wait. You know, I like to bring the patient back mm-hmm. probably at least once a week. If not, I think we're maybe a little aggressive, but I, if not sooner, clean, remove and replace, allograft, make sure that wound bed is okay and go from there. Yeah. Got it. And then if it looks okay, uh, I'm already autographed, obviously. Right. It's knowing, right? That's the million dollar question. It's knowing yeah. if that wound bed is, is okay. I've certainly put on some autograft in the wound bed wasn't okay right. in my early years. So, we all have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And right. you go back and again, yeah. you, you go back and assess and learn from that. Right. I don't think I do that very much anymore. Hopefully <laughs> now. <Thankfully>, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully nowadays. Yeah. That, that right. got a little better. Right. Just talking about sort of bacteria and biofilm. What are you looking for on the wound bed to be kind of have your kind of antenna up or your hair, hair follicles up saying, what am I seeing here? Yeah. Maybe it's not a good time to start grafting. Going 
into a patient's room and look at a wound bed there. I think it's sometimes it's tough with allograft on. Yeah. I think it's sometimes it's hard to see that wound bed. But if there's any sort of, I don't love obviously desiccation. If there's sure. any sort of desiccation there, I'll likely take that patient back to the operating room because okay. that tells me it's dead. It's dead. Right. Right. We got to go back. If there's any drainage on the bandages mm-hmm. itself, so we actually really look at those and we smell them too, right. right? So if there's any odor to those those dressings, or if the color doesn't look right, obviously green drainage, pseudomonas, things like that, right? Then I'll likely take that patient back to the upper room. We'll switch up the topicals, obviously, but then sure. I'll, I'll take that patient back to the upper room, right. take off that allograft, clean up the wound, and replace fresh allograft. Got it. Got it. Um, and is that an active discussion that you're having with your fellows as you're kind of going through absolutely. all of this? Yeah. We try and see wounds every day. Together. Yeah, together. So yeah. every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for sure, we do multi-disciplinary mm-hmm. rounds with the fellows. And the other days, I try to get them to look at wounds every day. Because you and I both know a wound yeah. can change in 24, 24 hours, hours. For sure. Yeah, 12 uh, hours. <laughs> yeah, that's how you learn. Right? Yeah. I think you, you have to look and look and look and look and right. look. Right. Um, now we've had a pandemic. You know, there, there's there's a lot of the burn rotation is now not a you know formal part of general surgery residency right. as it was for you and I. Nor is it for plastic. Oh, surgery. Nor is it for plastics, yep. right? That's that's a luxury. But what would you sort of like? How do you feel about that? And just how how can we move forward to train the next you know generation of burn surgeons that are coming behind you and I to, to, to yeah. kind of learn these techniques? I think we all have to you know be on the same page, and I think we probably all. We're all surgeons. We probably have all have somewhat of an ego, right? And think that we do it better than anybody else. And I think doing something like this, which now that we're doing it, I'm surprised that we haven't done it before because it's about getting everybody on the same page. And we all have the same common goal in mind is is to make sure that patient is taken care of appropriately and um, getting everybody together and collaborating, collaborating, doing things like this. But I also think it's, Again, I go go back to that same thing is is coming to a, a burn center right. that knows how to debris a wound. Yeah. And so how do you define those centers? Right. And, um, right. We just were able to acquire a second burn fellow in our place. I would love to produce, you know, burn centers like me and you. Right. And that's that's the yeah. goal. I think I think you brought up, you know, key points is is you know, pointing out the things that you and I do in the operating to them, yeah. but also just, you know, sharing with them some of the tincture of time lessons yeah. that we've learned as well. Yeah. Some people just get in there and they, they debride and debride right. and they're right. all, it, they're, it looks to me, it's erratic. And right. So I'm always like, Hey, right. time Thanks. out, slow down. <laughs> Let's be systematic about right. this. And I think that's an, I think that's an important that's concept. Okay. I know. Well, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.